First question for you today. What do you value the most in life? What do you value the most in life? Right? It is a rhetorical question for us at this point because you're in church. So if you answer it and you don't say God or Jesus, then you lose automatic, right? But it's still an important question for us to ask. What do you value the most in life? What is it? Right, here's a great, great question. If you have children, go to your children and ask them. Don't preface it with anything. Just say, hey, what do you think matters the most? Give me the three things that matters the most to your mom and dad, you think. Don't preface it. Just let them answer the question. You'll learn a lot, possibly. And it's a matter of where you put your time, where you put your energy, where you put your resources. We understand those types of things. But one of the things that we're going to be learning today as we dive into part of this series named Conquer is we're going to be understanding from this message today in Revelation chapter 2 that the values of God are not the same as the values of people. And I think that's really where the conundrum is. That's where some of the difficulty lies, is recognizing and understanding that the values of God are not the same as people. And sometimes we have values that maybe God doesn't value. Maybe we have priorities in our own life that God doesn't deem to be important or significant of worth within our own life. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is it that you value the most in life? And is that something that gives God glory, that gives God honor as you move forward and as you deal with different things? So we get to answer that question today because we're looking at uh, Thyatira is, a, is one of the churches that one of the seven messages is being written to in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. There's seven primary messages in case this is your first week. We're in the middle of this and we're at the very end of Revelation chapter 2 today. But through the penmanship of John, Jesus is sending these letters. He's writing these letters to these churches. And pretty much all of them came and originated starting with Ephesus. But I want to show you a map just to kind of ground us in terms of what's happening here. You had the Mediterranean Sea here. I love this map because on the far right-hand side, you see Judea right there with Jerusalem, right? Um, that's, where, that's Israel. And that's what we think about even today. And that is Israel today. Um, but we think about the happenings, the life of Jesus, that's where it occurred, okay? Um, well, if you go to Crete, which is to the left, you see the Mediterranean Sea. Just to the right of that, you have Crete, you have the island there. Right above that, to the right just a little bit, you have these seven churches. You have Ephesus, and then Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and it goes clockwise, just like this. And that's the order in which these, these messages are being written. And so you can see geog uh, in terms of the geography of where these places are. The message, this is, this is probably 50 to 60, 60-ish years after the, the death of Jesus Christ. And so you can see how the message of Jesus is expanding. It's going new places and it's growing. And now you have these messages being written to this place. And it's crucial for us to kind of understand that growth and how it's, how it's moving throughout the world. This is cool also for us to be able to see because um, things, the letters, the messages that are being sent to these churches are different than some of the letters that you would see uh, going to some of the other churches there in Israel. Why? Because that was different territory. 
Different things were happening. Different things were taking place. And these messages are just as crucial for us today as they were then. They're just as important for us. Because as you look at Thyatira, you learn a lot about um, these churches. One, this was the smallest of the seven, and yet the letter's the longest. It's the smallest of the seven, and yet the letter's the longest. And so this letter is being sent, this message is being sent to them. Someone consider it to be the least significant. I disagree. I don't think you can look at any of these and say that they're, they're, they have less significance than any other. The message that we're going to learn today, um, because we're not willing to confront the same struggles that they had going for themselves, because we're not willing to confront them today, it's ended up being an enormous issue, a problem, difficulty for us in our own lives. It was a city that was highly um, industrial, but also a manufacturing hub. All right? Um, you think uh, you're going to hear a lot about the textiles that they manufactured um, and the clothing, etc. But also, they had a lot of industrial stuff going in terms of uh, brass. They had blacksmiths. Um, they were really, if, think about a city. I'm told that the city is Gary, Indiana, that if you drive to Chicago, I've never, done, I've never driven to Chicago at night in my three years here. Um, I've been told to try to avoid going to Chicago. Um, so I don't. I just go to GR and back. But I, I'm told if you go to, at night, Gary, Indiana is like lit up with all the different flames from being a manufacturing. Is this, did somebody steer me astray? Is this correct? You know what I'm talking about, all the flames, and you can see it from all the industry and the manufacturing, and you see the lights lit up. Think about uh, Thyatira in terms of the same way. You could see, like at night, you would be able to look at this place on a hillside and you would be able to see the different lights and the flames and everything else all over the place and you'd be able to visualize that. Because it was an industrial city and it was known for that and all the different furnaces would be ablaze and at night it had to be a beautiful sight. So think of this and now you think about how these words are beginning in Revelation chapter 2. He begins with these words, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira uh, write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Which is something that they would produce and manufacture there. Isn't that cool? Like He knew who he was writing to. He knew who he was writing to. And they would have read this and go, oh yeah, that's, that's us. This language would have stood out to them in terms of processing the message that's now going to be sent to them. But I think it would have created a receptivity from the people because they're going, okay, yeah, they know who we are. They get what our lives are really about. Because the struggle they were having were really with those flames. Now, we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. But that was the problem. That was one of the struggles that they were having in terms of the people of God. The industry was big. The manufacturing was big with textiles. Um, all the way back, uh, long, long ago, God had instructed them to dye the priest robes and one of the, the, the threads of the tassels for every Jewish man, right? We know this. And so textiles and manufacturing was big because there they had this thing called the matter root. And the matter root is what produced a purple dye. And so they would dye different textiles, etc. Well, purple is the color of what? Royalty. Senators and priests and uh, really just the... The big wigs wore purple. And so this region was known for being able to produce those types of garments, those types of textiles. 
Also, this is a city that we find Lydia being from. Um, Acts chapter 16, we find Lydia. Uh, she's the dealer in the purple cloth. Well, she was from Thyatira. Many believe that she's the woman who helped to bring the church to that place and would host them, house them in her home. To go with all this manufacturing, to go with all of this industry in terms of in industry, the, the industrial aspects of it, um, one of the things that this area had, they had a lot of guilds. Now, when you hear the word guilds, I want you to think unions. Um, I want you to think unions. I, I've, I've got a good friend of mine. I saw him just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I got a message from him probably uh, about that time period, we talked for a little bit. I saw him up in Connecticut. He is the president, and I asked him if I could share this. Um, I said, can I tell people what you do? He says, I don't care, because uh, I know what his struggle is. He's the president for the media union for New York City. He loves his job, and he hates his job, all in one. He deals a lot with NBC, ABC, CBS, all the big affiliates with all the news stations, Today Show, Good Morning America, etc. He was one of the members of my church when I pastored there in Connecticut. And we would always get together and we would have coffee and, and chat about some of the struggles in his life. One of the struggles was is everybody wants everybody to have everything. And I feel like in my job, people are constantly demanding that I sacrifice my own faith and my own belief in order for me to be able to do my job well. And how do you balance that? So as you think about unions, I want you to think about guilds because when I talk about all the different industry and all the different manufacturing that was in Thyatira, you had everything from leather making to wool, uh, wool to tailors to bakers to blacksmiths to people who were dealing with these textiles and really making these garments. And in every single situation, what they did is they created a guild. Again, think union. They created a guild that would protect their rights, but also, not only that, each guild would come up with, basically, they declared their own god. So if it was a blacksmith, they had a god of blacksmith. And that, become a, that became a place of being social for individuals, but also they needed to pray to that god, false god, in order to give thanks because they worked within that industry, within that guild. And so now they're going, well, what do we do? Because if we don't worship that god of that guild, then how are we going to provide for our family? And so they were in that, that struggle of knowing what to do and how to move forward in life. Maybe you've been there in your own life in, in a career where your boss is asking you to do something and you recognize that just simply because it's legal doesn't mean that it's godly. And so you're going, do I do this because God is telling me I don't need to be doing this, but yet I need a job. I need to be able to provide for my, my children and for my wife. I need to be able to have a retirement hopefully one day. And you're thinking about all of this and you don't know what to do. It's a good way to think about some of the struggles of compromise of compromise that the people of, of Thyatira were having. Here's a big question is how could a Christian, how can a Christian earn a living if if they are involved in being a member of a guild or a union that embraced idolatry and immorality because that's what was happening. That's what was taking place. Now he does acknowledge some of the things that they are doing well. In verse 19 and following, he says these words. He says, I know your works, I know your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance and that, you, that your latter works exceed the first, which is contrary to even Ephesus, which had lost its first love. Yet some of these people were growing in their love and so their latter works were exceeding their first works. 
But he says this, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, some people don't think that there's literally a woman Jezebel, but we'll talk about that more and more as we go because this is important for us. You'll remember Jezebel from the Old Testament. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So they're struggling here. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And so I'm going to throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I'll throw them into great tribulation, unless what? Unless they repent of her works. I'll even strike her children dead. Now, this is one of the few churches that was doing good at some things, but they were starting to fail as this new century rolled around, right? Remember, these writings are roughly in 90, 95. Um, as this new century rolled around, this church is really beginning to struggle. They're at a crisis of faith, a crossroads of faith in terms of what they believed and what they were to do moving forward. I, I believe the same is true for our churches today in America. I believe we're at a crossroads where churches are going to make a decision. They have a decision on if they're going to be about a gospel of self-indulgence, or if they're going to be a gospel about Jesus Christ. We're at a crossroads. This church was no different. Right? Over 1,900 years ago, this letter is being written, and this church is no different because they lived in a society because of the guilds and because of the pressures of the world that was saying, hey, listen, just keep compromising. And they kept compromising their faith because you can't begin to worship these false gods to these guilds, right, and to these unions. You can't worship that God and in time not lose your passion and your zeal for the one true God that you've claimed to have faith in. It can't happen. And so they're struggling with this, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And so that's Jesus' rebuke to them, that you tolerate this woman Jezebel. Now, this reference to Jezebel makes it clear that this church is tolerating this woman. And there's a couple of things it can mean. One, that they had a lack of church discipline, that they weren't holding each other accountable because they, they didn't feel that they could. Now, that's that struggle. I, I need to tell you this. Uh, this is something I will speak about continually over and over and over again because I think it's this crucial for the church today so that we stay the right course. Conviction is one of the greatest things that we have, friends. Conviction is one of the greatest blessings we have. Why? Because conviction is what? It's Holy Spirit speaking to us. If you have no conviction, that means you don't hear from God and you better be worried. But we don't like conviction because the world tells us that you're always right no matter what. That, you, hey, no, you're good, don't worry about it, you just keep going wrong. What? That's what men do. We're traveling with our family. And we will never say that we're, we're going to Alabama and even though all of a sudden we see a road sign that says we're in Montana, we would never admit to being wrong. Right? That's, that's how our world is wired. But conviction is one of the greatest blessings that we have. But because we never want to be wrong, what we do is when we feel convicted, and a lot of times God uses someone else to speak conviction to us, what happens is we often go, oh, well, I feel like you're judging me. I've, I've referenced this many times. I'll keep doing it because I think it's that important. And so then we say, oh, well, they're judging me. I can't believe they're judging me. I literally had a guy come and tell me one time that they knew what they were doing with their 
colleague who was a co-owner of a, of a business was cheating them out of funds that they need to be receiving. But he began to what? Because he, when I said you can't keep doing this, because he labeled it not as conviction, he labeled it as judgment, he told himself that he could keep doing it because when you start to compromise your ethics, it quickly leads to a justification. Compromise leads to justification. And so their own compromise, the Thyatira, their compromise began to lead to justification of worshiping other gods. That's why he's referencing Jezebel. Because Jezebel led people astray in the same type of manner, in the same type of way. Jesus calls out Jezebel, cutting to the heart of the issue. that no, Listen, nobody would have named their child Jezebel. You just wouldn't do it. That's like naming your son evil. Like that's the name, evil. Like you're just not going to do it. And so he's referring to this because here is Jezebel, I would also name her compromise, trying to seduce God's followers just like Jezebel had seduced God's followers in the Old Testament. It led to a compromise, it led to a complacency in the church today. It's exactly what it led to. Proverbs 132 is a great passage to look at. It says, For the simple are killed by their turning away. The simple are killed by their turning away, the compromise, right? Their complacency, and the complacency of fools destroy them. Compromise, complacency, they're very similar. They're sister words, but they matter for us. And we've stopped asking the questions of whether or not we're even compromising our own faith. I want to give you a few reasons why we compromise our faith. I'll give you, I'm gonna, there's only going to be two listed here. Uh, maybe we got a third that will hopefully show up here. But uh, I want to give you some reasons of why we compromise. You can write them down there. One is this. We compromise because we now have this satisfaction or we just simply have an acceptance of the way that things are. We're just kind of satisfied or we just accept it. it's just the way things are. I've had people say that in their marriages. It's not going to get any better. It's just the way it is. And they've lost all hope. And so there's just this, this acceptance. And it leads to a complacency of where you expect misery. <laughs> you expect for things not to be as God-honoring as they could be. And so there is one of the primary reasons for compromising our life is because we have this satisfaction or an acceptance of the way that things are. Another reason that we struggle with compromise is we have a lack of understanding of the way that things could be, of, of the way things might be with God. We don't fully see the enormity of who He is. We don't maybe truly believe that He can redeem anyone at any time from anything, including our own marriages. You've been in hurt for so long. You've been in despair for so long. You don't think that He can come and really do anything great in your life, and it's simply not true. A third reason, and it's not in your notes, but I'd love for you to write this down. It's called working on this on a Saturday night, and God keeps telling you, you got to talk about this. Um, another reason we struggle so much with compromise is because we just have lack of conviction. We have a lack of conviction today. Another way of thinking about conviction is spiritual fortitude. Because of the, the lack of conviction, because of the lack of 
of spiritual fortitude today. We have taken the word of God and we have bent it out of shape. We have bent it to conform to the surrounding culture rather than allowing it to stand as authority in our lives. We've surrendered our moral compass. In fact, today, if you stand up against anything, no matter what it is, you're considered often a bigot. You're considered to be someone who's filled with hate if you speak against anything at all. And yet, God is writing this message to the church and saying, guys, you're beginning to compromise. You're you're, you're compromising more and more and more, and you're surrendering your soul. And so he's letting them be aware of this. That that they've surrendered their moral compass in more than one way. Compromise, complacency. They are the virtues of a person who has no conviction. And the person who has no conviction is not in a healthy relationship with the Almighty God. Are you living a life Never compromising the truth, which is Jesus' God's word. That's why Romans 12, 2 is so important. It says, do not, well, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says, don't be transformed by, by anything, anything other than God. Don't be conformed to the world. And we're, they were conforming to the world. They were compromising over and over and over again. Here's a quote for you from P.T. Forsyth. He says the following. He says, Unless there is within us that which is above us, we shall soon yield to that which is about us. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is about us. You see, they began to compromise, to give up their faith in God, and as a result, they, become, they became more and more about themselves. George Packer says that principles are a set of values that have to be adapted to circumstances, but not compromised away. We've compromised away our values, our beliefs. One of, the, one of the words that we think about when it comes to compromise is we do think about tolerance. Some of the interviews I've been reading of lately, um, one of the questions they've been asking in terms of what's most important for certain people today. They asked this question about the latest uh, presidential election in terms of each side, blue or red, what's more important to them. The number one ranking characteristic for one side, um, which would be that that voted blue, was fair and tolerance was the most important thing. Fair, fairness, and tolerance, most important thing. For the other side, it was purity and care. You can read that how you want to. But what I'm saying is this, 
we must not compromise when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ. We must not compromise. As soon as you begin to compromise, it is a slippery, slippery slope. Tolerance, compromise, is the mechanism, and this is the best way I know how to say it. It's the mechanism being used to force social change away from the previously biblical worldview. This allows for excessive tolerance that results in a society in which everything is permissive and leads to a decaying of the moral fabric of society. It's the easiest way I know how to say it. Thyatira was sacrificing. They They were compromising everything when it came to their faith. If we make a compromise with the world, we're in danger of standing apart from our God. We must not tolerate compromising our faith in Jesus. That we compromise things all the time. We compromise things all the time, and sometimes compromise is a good thing. My wife and I, when it comes to being married or, or having children, sometimes we come to a compromise. Um, she agrees to let me think what I want, and I agree to let her do what she wants. All right? And we compromise in that. And sometimes you compromise in terms of what you want to eat, and so you make a compromise in terms of tonight you're going to have this, tomorrow night you're going to have something else. We make compromises all the time with our kids. They say, hey, can I stay up and watch the first half of the NBA Finals game? And I say, do you, this is real life, by the way, do you have school tomorrow? Yes, sir. Does it start after your normal bedtime? Yes, sir. That's not what I'm asking. What are you asking? Once again, can I stay up? Okay, let's compromise. How about the first quarter? How about the first half and we can have popcorn? No. How about the first quarter and you rub my feet? Yes, sir. We compromised. And so sometimes compromise works out well for us. But guys, we also need to understand that if we compromise our faith, we are then compromising who we believe Jesus Christ is. There are some things we must not compromise. We're giving away our faith. And we're, we're chalking it up to, well, it's just accepting the way things are. There's nothing else that we can do. Guys, Jesus took 12 misery in terms of individuals, miserable people, because they're fishing. I mean, they had did nothing for a living, right? These are not the high-class individuals. He took these guys and he changed the world. You really believe that the hundreds of thousands, the millions of people who still believe in Jesus Christ, if we stood together and stopped compromising with the world, do you really believe that God can't use that to do something miraculous? This world isn't lost. I know exactly where it is. It's standing apart from Jesus, but God can redeem it. That's great news. God is still God. And they started to forget this and they began to compromise everything. And there's so many things that we continue to compromise. So how, how can we do it? How can we start to conquer the compromise? One, you need to know what you believe in. Know what you believe in. Know what you believe in. But here's another thing that I would tell you to do. If you really want to start to conquer the compromise that you have in your own life, is that you need to start to record, start to write out 
your spiritual growth. Another way of saying it, men, I know you don't like this word, but start to journal. And over the course of three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, you'll start to see if you're writing the exact same things down, you're probably not growing very much spiritually. Another thing, if you want to start to conquer the, the compromise in your life and knowing when you need to compromise and when you shouldn't, I would tell you to start memorizing Scripture. Because it's, so, it's incredibly difficult to not compromise something that you haven't allowed to seep deep into your heart, into your being, into the fabric of who you are. Galatians 5.16 is one example of a passage that I'd love to see all of you memorize. But I say walk by the Spirit because in doing such you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so it lets you know, listen, don't compromise to the desires of the flesh. Don't give in. Another one is Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and I see you and I, or whether I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Memorize Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Memorize Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, that when he comes and he tells us, listen, if you come to me, if you're weary, if you're beat up, if you're burdened, come to me. That's the requirement. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Memorize Jeremiah 29, 11, a basic verse that says, listen, he knows the plans that he has for you. And they're good plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Memorize the word of God. Let it seep deep into your soul. And you can start to conquer the complacency that you have. We have complacency. We have complacency in so many different ways. And this morning what I'd like to give us the opportunity to do is I want to give us the opportunity to pray about the complacency that we have. Because it's decaying our moral fabric. It's decaying who we are. Because we're constantly compromising. We're compromising our faith. So I'm going, to invite, I'm going to invite Nathan and the team to come back up. And I'm going to give us an opportunity to pray this morning. But before we even get to that time of prayer, I want, to, I want to call out some things that we continue to seem to compromise. And maybe you can identify some of them. Maybe you can identi- identify with some of them. One of the things that we seem to continually compromise is a biblical marriage. We're always allowing others, we're allowing this society, the culture in which we live, to determine our expectation for what God can do in a marriage. And we keep compromising. A lot of us are compromising the way we parent. And we allow It's amazing how often we allow people to determine how we parent when they don't even believe in Jesus. We start start to compromise when we listen to the, the words of the world and make decisions based on a worldly recommendation rather than a biblical recommendation. 
or commandment. Some of us have compromised our attitudes and we're always grumpy, we're always grouchy and we simply chalk it up to, well, that's how everybody else is. We've compromised. Some of us have compromised our worship of Jesus Christ and we don't get the privilege that this is of coming together with brothers and sisters in Christ and worshiping with each other and that God commands to come together as his people, to worship him, to adore him. We've compromised it, right? So many people in our world today, we know that they, they come to church as long as nothing better comes up. And guys, I know, um, I know summer's approaching. I cannot encourage you enough to continue in your worship as a family, whether that be here or whether that be somewhere else. I know you travel a lot and everything else, but we, we have formed the horrible habit of teaching our families that you worship when nothing else better comes along. It is a horrible habit, horrible habit, horrible habit, horrible habit. And then our parents are lost and they are led astray and they're frustrated and they're angry and they go, why aren't our kids going to church anymore? They went to college. Well, you know why? Because the world is throwing out better opportunities to play ultimate frisbee on a Sunday morning at college. Or they're throwing out opportunities to head to the beach or to do this. We must stop compromising with the world. And we will stop compromising with the world when we truly believe in the greatness of who God is. We'll stop living a life that simply accepts the way things are. And we'll start living in what can be because of the name of Jesus. One of the other things that we've compromised is our sexual behavior. We think a little bit of lust. Just, well, it's, it's just a little bit of pornography. Or you're not even married yet and you go, well, we know we probably shouldn't be going this far, but the world thinks it's okay, and even the church really, because they don't know how to speak about it. So since the church has remained silent then, well, I guess we could do this, or we could do this, or we could do this. And we continually compromise. We're disobedient to God, and then we expect God to come and bless us more for our disobedience. And when he doesn't bless us more for our disobedience, we compromise more because we get angry at God. Anybody relate? And we just keep compromising. Men have compromised the way that we need to be treating our wives. Wives have compromised the way that we need to be treating our, our husbands. And we keep saying, well, they haven't done it for me. I've yet to find that in the word of God. Jesus Christ gave his life because you first gave yours for him. We just keep compromising. He hasn't compromised anything with us. Like I just want, I want us to start taking a stand. I want us to start to recognize how great and how wonderful he is. We've become numb to his love and to his greatness. I was giving my girls a hard time this morning because one of them walked downstairs and they know it's morning time. You see father in the morning and you come over and you have to endure his hugs and his kisses. 
And you can tell sometimes they're just kind of waiting, like, can we go now? I'm like, oh, you know you're going to have to hug me more if you act like that. Fine, Dad. I love you. And that's how we're treating worship now. Like, oh, I've got to go worship real quick, and then I get to go home, and we've forgotten that we get to worship the Almighty Creator. There's no, no morning I should wake up and go, oh, you know, I'm just going to live my life of compromise because God's just God. He's doing His thing again. I get to call on the name of Jesus. I don't want... To become, I don't want to compromise that love and that passion and that zeal and the fervor that comes into the life of anybody who's discovered the beauty of Jesus. Isn't he awesome? He's so amazing. And we just keep compromising. And so I want to give you an opportunity to pray. You're going to hear this song that's going to be sung for you this morning. And I'm going to invite you to, you can stand as you pray. Some of, some of you may be going, I just need to give God honor by standing, on, standing for him and, and to pray in that way. Some of you, I'm going to invite you to kneel where you are. Some of you want to sit where you are. I'm going to be right here. I'm going to invite you to come and work. Some of you, you know that as a family you've compromised. And so maybe there are some families who need to come to the altar and say, God, no more compromise. But I'm going to invite you to pray with us. And so as this song is being sung, would you please join me in praying to our God?